The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome. Disability Law Show. We're back. You're back. It's all good. John Skull's here. Martin Willems is on board. Of course, he does all the answering of the questions, brings all the knowledge to the table to reach out to Martin and his team. They uh, say you can have a chat, no problem, anytime. The number is one 821 5900 email is disability uh, help at disabilityrights.ca as well. Give you more contact information throughout the hour. Lots of stuff to get through. Emails are coming in. And want to talk, uh, Martin, off the top here, uh, some stuff you sent me on fibromyalgia as it uh, pertains to fibromyalgia LTD claims. Um, fibromyalgia technically meaning muscle pain. It's, 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 it's a symptom. It's not a diagnosis. But either way, it is debilitating. And is it a disability? It's a good question, and you know it's a question that we get a lot. Um, these days, I would say in the past few years, it's been more accepted in, I suppose, the medical community as well, and with some insurers, that fibromyalgia is indeed a disability. Yeah. So as you said, it's not necessarily an illness, it's more a syndrome. So quite often you would hear people say it is a diagnosis by exclusion because you would have had various other conditions investigated Mm -hmm. but it is real it is accepted to be real it has been accepted by the courts to be real it has been accepted by the courts that it can be disabling so the question is fibromyalgia a disability it's a condition that can be disabling not for everybody but for some people right so you would find same with other conditions some people can work with multiple sclerosis some people can work with psychiatric illnesses like depression and anxiety just because you have the diagnosis does not mean that your condition is going to lead to a disability because that's something different right so we're looking at the diagnosis with a disability claim the most important thing is functional impairment what are the restrictions and limitations that would prevent you from working because of the diagnosis? So, again, to answer the question, yes, fibromyalgia can be disabling and has been recognized by insurers and the courts as a potentially disabling condition. So what does one do if they've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and unable to work and have uh, my claim approved? So what you want to do here is if you've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, that obviously has been done by a doctor. So a doctor has given you the diagnosis, and it wouldn't be a diagnosis that was just given to you from the outset. Various investigations would have been happening, right? So you've gone through various investigations. You may have had visits with specialists. You may have seen a rheumatologist or a physiatrist, um, people who are somewhat qualified, in looking into these conditions. So if you if you now have the diagnosis, and clearly you would have this diagnosis because you're suffering from certain symptoms. Um, and now it may be that it has become so severe that you cannot work. Now you're wondering, I've heard about this fibromyalgia. I've heard about people, potentially insurance companies, and sometimes the, the people in the medical profession, sometimes even the courts, being cynical or maybe skeptical about the diagnosis itself. Um, What should I do because I cannot work? I want to file for disability. How 
can I go about this and take the right steps to allow me the best opportunity to have my claim approved? And when this happens, at this point, it's best to be proactive. So I'll, I use the example that I use almost during every show. If you have a doctor who has given you a diagnosis of depression, writes on the form, my patient has depression, they cannot work, your claim will be denied. Same thing with fibromyalgia. If you're just going to write there, fibromyalgia, my patient cannot work, it's going to be denied. What is the functional impairment? What are the restrictions and limitations? So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to sit down with your doctor, have that discussion. Does your doctor support that you cannot work, that you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation? If that is the case, why is that so? When the doctor completes what is called the attending physician statement and you complete your employee statement, these are two documents that must be submitted when you apply for LTD or for short-term disability benefits, you have to outline why it is that you cannot work. Mm -hmm. So we know that fibromyalgia, you mentioned it, is correct, it is muscle, right? It's pain. It's widespread pain in the soft tissues and in the muscles, potentially the joints as well. But often with fibromyalgia, you would also have other symptoms like brain fog, like fatigue. Lots of people who have fibromyalgia also have a degree of anxiety and depression. Yes, yeah, yeah. There, there would be cognitive impairment. They would find it difficult to focus, to concentrate, to multitask. Because of their low energy, they get tired very easily. Um, and if they do things that may be outside of the, what is called the energy envelope, um, then they may suffer a relapse or a worsening or an aggravation of the condition, a flare-up, if you want to call it that. So when the doctor completes the forms and when you complete your forms, speak about that. Speak about your restrictions and limitations. And any of these things apply to you, then these are the things that you want to detail. Also, have the doctor complete and indicate on the form what steps have led to you to get to this point. What investigations have been done. How was this diagnosis made? What medications are you taking? What experts have you seen? If you are taking medications, how are they impacting you? Some people may take lyrical or other medications like that, which may also impact fatigue levels. It may make people very drowsy. It may affect their cognition further. In addition to the, the condition, it also does that. So you want to give a wholesome and complete picture of what the person is dealing with that would prevent them from um, performing their duties. And it may be worthwhile, probably wise, to describe what your occupational duties are, not just what your job duties are. Remember, there's a difference between job and occupation. If you work as a bank teller, speak about what the occupational duties are, right? Mm -hmm. Detail those and then have the doctor comment on how your restrictions and limitations would impact your ability to perform the duties of your own occupation. Also, if you are seeing other experts, make sure that you include the consult reports from those, be it a rheumatologist or a physiatrist, or if you've seen a psychiatrist, if there's a mental health component to it as well, have them complete, but not necessarily complete, but have them provide their consult reports. And if necessary, they can also write a letter to support that you are unable to work and why that is. Also with these conditions, you find quite often that if you have 
fibromyalgia, you may also have comorbid conditions, like people may have irritable bowel syndrome, or they may have been diagnosed with um, chronic fatigue or myalgic encephalitis, or a formal anxiety or depression diagnosis, right? So these are also could be potentially disabling conditions. And if you're seeking treatment from other treatment providers, have them also provide their records, provide comments, their opinions as to why it is that you're unable to work, what what evidence they may have to support that, what their objective observations have been, and then submit the claim. Because other than that, I don't know what else you can provide um, in order to give yourself the best opportunity to have the claim approved. Um, and hopefully it works. And, you know, even with all that stuff, especially lined out off what you said right at the beginning of that uh, of that particular part you were talking about, about not being concise enough and just saying, yeah, this person's sick, they can't work, not good enough. What are other reasons why they would uh, those claims for fibromyalgia would be denied, still not believing in it? You know, this goes back to the condition itself often. Um, yeah. There are certain conditions that are described as invisible conditions or subjective conditions. Now, I know it can be, to some degree, it can be a bit of an insult to say you have an invisible condition when the person is clearly living with it. But it is something that you cannot see on an X-ray or an MRI or a CT or other types of scan. Um, so it's quite often described as a subjective condition or based on self-report. So you go into the doctor, you report what it is that you're experiencing. There are certain criteria to make the diagnosis, but when um, insurers look at it, and some degree course as well, the, it is based on your your word. This is what you say you are experiencing. So when we look at denials that I've seen over the years when it comes to fibromyalgia long-term disability claims, you see various bases for the denial. One of them would be that there is no objective evidence, which I find so frustrating. What type of objective evidence would they require when they know that, they that there isn't necessarily an objective measure to diagnose the condition that is available in Canada and that is implemented by uh, the, medical, the medical profession. Others may be that the evidence isn't sufficient. And just on that objective thing, most policies do not provide that objective evidence is a requirement. Same thing with depression and anxiety, right? So, so they will say we don't have objective evidence, but they also approve certain cases. So there is... This is why I say when we when you submit the claim, make sure that you do the best that you can by providing as much evidence from your doctors to support the claim and have the doctor speak about their objective observations with respect to what they're seeing, what you're reporting, whether doctors can figure out whether people are malingering, right? So they're not going to support your claim if they disagree with you. So people don't choose to go on disability just because they want to. Disability pays you less than your actual income. Right. Why would you right. choose to do that? So when you do submit the claim, why are these cases denied? Those two, and sometimes also that they feel that you're not under the appropriate treatment. So make sure that when you have a claim like this, any claim really, you see your doctor on a very regular basis. You report to your doctor your restrictions and limitations, which would then allow your doctor to be in an informed position to provide an informed opinion. And crucially, make sure that you follow your doctor's treatment advice, be proactive, have your doctor refer you to specialists as well if your condition isn't improving. 
We'll continue our chat about fibromyalgia. A couple more points to discuss, and we'll move on to your emails. So feel free to send those along anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address uh, Martin and I use on the show every week. And you can skip over that if you want to. Talk to Martin and his team and uh, get some answers on your own time. Privately, one 821 5900 We'll continue. More Disability Law Show is coming up. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we're back. Thank you for hanging through the break here on the Disability Law Show. Good to have you with us. It's Martin Willips is the uh, the lawyer you want to use and contact anytime. Reach out. You can do so. one 855 Simple. Toll free, of course. And the email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. You want to, uh, you know, get more information possibly should you be reaching out to Martin, should you send that email, go to pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. That's pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. Some drop-down menus there. It'll give you a lot of information and it'll pretty much whittle down the idea if you need to reach forward and go forward with martin and his team as well so you can do that on uh, on your own time again pocket disability lawyer.ca it's free it's anonymous we were talking about fibromyalgia in the first segment it's an important topic because it's um it's widespread a lot of people off work for this uh, for this particular uh problem martin we talked about things you should do to bolster your claim getting you know clear concise and bountiful notes from your doctor your medical team among other things so what do I do if the claim is denied even after all that? If you've done all those things and your claim is denied, then, you know, it, not everybody will do these things. But if you've done it, then you, then you wonder, what else can I now do? Because I've provided all the evidence from my doctors. I've submitted a claim with maybe letters from experts, doctors dealing, detailing what my restricted limitations are and the insurance company is still not accepting it. So what do you do if your claim is denied? Firstly, you want to make sure, you know, I wrote an article on fibromyalgia and this is one of the issues that came up. So I'm going to speak about it from, based on that memory. What do you do? You want to make sure that the doctor or the insurance company rather reduces to writing. In other words, send you a letter explaining why your claim has been denied. So that you can now take that letter to your doctor and have a discussion with your doctor say, these are the reasons why they denied my claim. What can I do about it? Secondly, you want to then contact an insurance lawyer, right? A disability lawyer, which is what we do. We I know I personally have, and I know my team has as well, represented people with denied long-term disability claims when they've li- been living with fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is the reason why they cannot work the insurance company has denied the claim. Now, remember, we've spoken about this before. If you submit a claim for a for disability, so you want to be paid LTD benefits, you're not working now, you're not receiving an income now, um, your condition is such that you cannot work. So it's not a pleasant position to be in. You're suffering. You, you're struggling. Um, you're dealing with these issues like brain fog, anxiety, depression, having difficulty to focus, any anxiety or further stress will likely increase your symptoms, right? It has that potential. So if you're living with these conditions and now you've been denied, clearly your stress is going to increase because now the hope of having financial security has been taken away. So that increases the stress and the anxiety. And now you have to figure out how to deal with this denial. So contact 
well, you can contact any disability lawyer, but this is what we do, and we represent clients throughout Canada, other than in Quebec and the territories. We've got offices in BC, Alberta, and Ontario. So if you've got a denial from an insurance company, not just based on fibromyalgia, but any condition, you want to get in touch with us and have a discussion as to what your options are, right? We will review with you the denial letter. We will speak to you about your particular circumstances in your situation, potentially review the medical records, have a look at the policy, and then discuss with you what your options are, because you have options, right? Do not simply accept that the insurance company is correct. You know, sometimes I may also deny the claim because they may say it's a pre-existing condition. That is an overwhelming term for somebody to understand. What does that actually mean in the context of a disability policy? And because we deal with this all the time, we know how to review that policy, where to find the pre-existing condition exclusion language, and to see whether there is an arguable claim that will put you in a position where the pre-existing condition exclusion will not apply to you. And when we get involved in these cases, we fight for our clients. The, the communications go through us. You're no longer dealing with the insurance company. You don't have to have these ongoing discussions with them where you're quizzed and interviewed about everything under the sun. Everything goes through us, and we make it our mission to get you the best compensation possible. And again, that number, guys, one 821 5900 So difference between appealing the denial and pursuing a legal claim, this always comes up, but I figured I'd throw it in there at the end, pal. What do you think? I think it's a good thing to speak about because when I mentioned uh, the, first, the previous question, what do you do if your claim is denied? Remember I said you've got options. One of the options very likely will be that you can appeal the denial. The other one is potentially that you could pursue a legal claim. Um, appealing the denial is, if you've done all the things that I've already mentioned, you should do, again, what more can you do? Go back to your doctor, get your doctor to write another another letter. If you didn't do that before, then that probably is what you should do um, if you're deciding to pursue that process. But remember, if you do proceed with an appeal, that appeal just goes directly to the same entity that denied your claim in the first place. It's not an independent body that reviews it. It's the same entity that already dismissed your doctor's opinions and already decided that they're not accepting them. So you have to wonder where that will go. With respect to pursuing a legal claim, again, that is what I said we do. We represent our clients where it all goes through us. And we make it a priority to get the best resolution that we can for our clients while they can focus on their treatment. Now, one other thing to be mentioned here is when you have a claim that has been denied, people get confused about this often because the denial, the denial letter will speak about various timelines. One of them will say that you've got so many days to appeal the decision and you can do it no longer no later by this particular day and then further down in the letter it will say that remember that there is a specific timeline called the limitation period within which you can pursue a legal claim and go look at your insurance act it depends on which insurance company you're dealing with as to how they will explain to you what the limitation period is and if you don't deal with these things every day you're going to be very confused because you won't understand what is the timeline to appeal and what is the timeline to pursue a legal claim, or what is the limitation period? So in a nutshell, this is what it is. If the insurance company is saying to you, you've got certain, like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it may be, to pursue an appeal or to submit an appeal, that's what they're referring to, is this process where you're engaging with the entity that denied your claim to try and convince them that they actually made a mistake. 
Whereas pursuing a legal claim, speaking about the limitation period, that is the timeline within which you can file a lawsuit, a legal claim. And that timeline, the question is always, when does it start to run? In most provinces, it starts to run from the date that they denied your claim or from the date that you received your last payment, if they did pay you for a period of time. For the most provinces, well, I think for everybody really, it is two years. Big question, when does it start to run? But two years. And most importantly, if you engage in the appeal process, do not think that the timeline to file a legal claim is suspended or interrupted because of that appeal process. It isn't. The moment that that claim is denied, the limitation period starts to run and it continues to run regardless of whether you're appealing once, twice, or three times. And you have to make sure that you do not miss that timeline to pursue a legal claim, the limitation period, because if you do, you very likely will be out of time to pursue a legal claim and you could end up getting nothing. So the message here is, if your claim is denied, make sure that you reach out to us and have a discussion with us as to what your options are and when these timelines start to run and what they mean specifically in your particular claim. All right, good stuff. Let's move on to some uh, some email. Martin, first one up says, guys, if I'm on LTD and my group LTD plan from work covers 75% of my pre-disability income and they have an all-source maximum at 85%, if I have a separate personal disability plan that I've been paying the premium for years prior to acquiring a group disability plan from work, if the personal disability plan covers a top-up amount, that would make my monthly coverage reach eh, approximately 100% or, or my pre of my pre-disability income. Is that allowable or does the group disability plan have the right to deduct the amount from my monthly pay to not reach over 85% of that pre-disability income? There's separate plans though and I have the personal disability plan prior to the group disability plan. Kindly enlighten me on this. Thank you. So obviously, Martin, they'd like the one that they pay for because it's top up to 100%, right? Yeah, so this is interesting. If you did not have the group policy, then you would have obviously the individual one and there would be no offsets theoretically other than certain things that the policy may provide. As with everything, I always say to everybody who asks me questions about these, which may be more technical, you have to go back to basics, which means you have to look at the wording of the policy. So in this case, there's a group policy and there's an individual policy. Does the group policy allow the group insurer to deduct a certain amount in excess of things like CPP and et cetera with respect to benefits that may be payable through the individual policy. You have to look at the wording of the policy. Some policies will provide that individual policy payments will be deducted. Others will not. So theoretically, it is possible that both could pay you. Most policies will have language um, under reading called reintegration or integration of benefits. So it's not a question that I can answer by simply looking at what has been sent to us. What I need to do is have a a review of the actual policies. What does the group policy say and what does the individual policy say? Because it... Both of them may want to have the deduct something from what the other one is paying, but it's also possible that if the off- offsets described under the policies are limited and they do not include things like on the pr- individual policy, things like 
benefits you may receive on a group policy, then that's not deductible. And on the group policy side, if it doesn't say that um, benefits payable under an individual policy would be deductible, then again, we would say that that's not a deduction. It really depends on the language of the policy. But it's an interesting question. And getting 75% of your pre-disability income under the group policy, you know, that's a good percentage. It's actually pretty good, yeah. It is quite. You often would see it would be sixty-seven percent or sixty percent, or there would be a staggered percentage. Seventy-five percent is a good one, and then on top of that, you've got a individual policy as well. So, according to this, if the person um, has both payments, then we'll put them close to a hundred percent, which is yeah. obviously a very good position to be in, and not many people find them in that position. And I'm sure neither neither insurer is going to like that, but. The policy is what the policy is. And if the policy provides that it's not an offset, as much as they may not like it, it is not an offset. And I know, you know, you don't work for an insurance company by any stretch, Martin, but have you found in, in the past that people under a group plan that's only 75, they're hearing the private plan going, ooh, 100 sounds better. Can they do a top-up through the group plan, or that's generally not allowed when it's a, a bunch of, well, a pool of people in the insurance uh, on the insurance claim? It really depends. Um, so I, I've seen ones where there's a significant amount being paid and then there is a top-up. So yes, oh. I have seen that happen um, under an individual plan. But it, again, depends on that that all-source maximum dis- uh, question. Right. Every policy, most group policies, will have what is called an all-source. And what it means is if you are receiving income from other sources that may exceed 85% of your pre-disability income, then that excess is also deducted from your LTD benefit amount. Oh, okay. But it has to be one of the, it has to be included in the list of things that are included in the 85% sources or sources that would be considered to be part of the 85%. So if it's not included there, then my position is you cannot deduct it. Got it. Let's take a uh, short break, pal. Many more emails to go. And if it doesn't appear on this show, you send one along. It may appear on a future show if you'd like. And to uh, to send one to us, help at disabilityrights.ca or skip over that. Make that phone call. It's uh, it's toll free. And anytime you want to get a hold of Martin's team, you can do so. 1-855-821-5900. More of the Disability Law Show is coming right up. Stay with us. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back to Disability Law Show. John Scholes here. Martin Willems is a guy you want to reach out to. He's got a great team behind him. He directs his, uh, his people very well and to answer those phone calls too and give you some, uh, some answers off the top. It won't cost you anything just to pick up a phone and ask a, a question or two that number anytime is 1-855-821-5900 toll free of course and then help at disabilityrights.ca that's the way to reach martin and his team through email there's also a website called mydisabilityquestions.com that's a beauty because you can lay your questions in there it's almost uh it's almost like a focus group type of thing but it's got a searchable database so if a question similar to yours has been asked and thoroughly answered previously 
You might be able just to use that and not go any further. But if not, that's fine. Leave your question there, mydisabilityquestions.com. It will get reviewed and answered. And uh, it's anonymous, by the way. You don't even have to leave your name. So look at the answer and uh, shut down your browser. Walk away. Just that simple. Okay, next email, Martin. Here we go. It says, guys, I've, been, uh, I've submitted claims uh, forms to be reviewed for approval for LTD. And the case manager that is reviewing it mentioned that it may not be approved due to a pre-existing condition clause. Can my existing disability cause? LTD not to be approved. What do you think, pal? You know, I touched on this briefly when we spoke about the fibromyalgia claims. And, and John, you know, this is something that I see come up more regularly these days. Um, Pre-existing conditions, we've discussed this many times, and I, I literally can spend a whole segment speaking about it. So let's go back to, again, what does pre-existing condition mean? In everyday terms, in your mind, you're going to think it's something that existed before, a condition that I've had before. Even if I'm 50 years old, maybe I had it when I was 20. It may be that. But under the terms of a disability policy, it is a defined term, which means that, forget about how we look at it in everyday terms, in a contract, it specifically means what is stated in that contract. And for the most part, pre-existing condition clauses are only relevant if the person goes off work within the first year of having coverage. I'm speaking about group policies now. So uh, the person who sent in this question very likely has had coverage for less than a year under the LTD benefit plan. So now they've gone off work. The case manager who's looking at LTD is saying, this may be a pre-existing condition. And the person alludes to this by saying, can my existing disability cause LTD not to be approved? Yes, it can. But it depends, again, on what the language in the policy is. So pre-existing conditions may provide that. If you, your disability is related directly or indirectly to a condition or an illness for which you had medical care during a defined period of time, then it may be deemed to be pre-existing and your claim will be denied. What that does? What does that mean? So, medical care will likely also be a defined term. So, if you've seen a doctor, you had a con- consult, or you've been prescribed prescription medications, things like that may qualify as medical care, depending on the language of the policy. Then there is a defined period of time. So, it may be some policies may say that. If in the 90 days before you had coverage, you had medical care for a condition related to your current disability that you go off work now, your claim is excluded. Others may say, if there is a 13-week period from the day that you've had coverage, or at least 90 days before you had coverage until the day that you go off work, if there's any moving 13-week period or 90-day period during which you did not receive medical care, for that pre-existing condition, then it is, if you haven't received, then it is not pre-existing. So it really depends on the language of the policy. So for this person, can they deny your claim based on a pre-existing condition? Yes, they can. But will it mean that they are correct when they do that? I've seen many cases where the insurance company did deny the claim based on a pre-existing condition exclusion, where we did take the claim on because we could come up with an argument based on the review of the records and the conditions themselves that this, in fact, is not pre-existing. You know, remarkably, 
I've seen, and I think I spoke about this uh, in another show, I've seen um, cases where the insurance company misapplied their own pre-existing period, where they may have said, we're looking at the 90 days before to see if you'd had any treatment during that, and if you did, then we're going to deny your claim. When the policy actually said the 90 days before the effective date of coverage, as well as the 90 days after the effective date of coverage. And if you look at it that way, then it was not pre-existing. Two right. cases recently come to mind. So please don't accept if an insurance company denies your claim based on a pre-existing condition, that their decision is correct, and then it cannot be disputed. In some cases, they are correct. I mean, we have to be clear about this. Some cases, there is no nothing to do. But in others, there may be an argument to be made. So please, if you have your condition, your claim denied based on that, reach out to us and we can review it with you. And again, that email is a good start, but the phone number to carry it further, one 821 5900 Grab another email here. Martin says, uh, Martin, can I be taken off my LTD if I don't uh, get work by a certain time? The psychologist they have working for them said this will happen. I trusted her, and I'm not ready to go back in a month. Uh, I told her I needed help with skills and motor function as well as pain every day. I'm feeling stupid for trusting her. Uh, I feel like I'm being set up to fail. What do you think? I think the first thing that you do, because this person is being paid by the insurance company and probably um, the focus is return to work focused or work hardiness, right? And this may not be the appropriate treatment that you have to engage in at this point. Maybe, but maybe not. First thing you do, you're going to go to your doctor, and I hope you've been seeing your doctor on a regular basis. Discuss with your doctor what the insurance company is wanting you to do, that they're expecting that you do return to work within a month if they've given you a specific deadline. Is it a gradual return or is it a full-time return? It depends. Have your doctor look at the evidence that has been that, that there is now. See what the psychologist is saying. And if your doctor disagrees um, and supports you in what you're saying, that you are not ready to return to work, that you do need help with skills and motor function as well as pain that you're experiencing every day. I'm not sure how the psychologist is dealing with that. You may have other treatment providers involved. So as with everything, have your doctor step in here. If you're not ready to return to work, have your doctor reduce that to writing, submit it to the insurance company. If they've come up with a graduate return to work plan, have your doctor review that. And if the doctor doesn't agree, have the doctor put that in writing, send it to the insurance company. And if they do deny you, as with all these questions, please reach out to us and we can discuss with you what your options are. All right, a few minutes to go. We'll try to get to another email or two. In the meantime, reach out by phone when we're done, one 821 5900 This is the Disability Law Show, and it continues in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Disability Law Show is what you're listening to to reach out to Martin Willems after the show is done. Feel free to do so. You want more of a uh, private conversation. I get it. one 821 5900 to do so. The email address we use each week, and you can use it as well. It might not appear on a show. Maybe you don't want it to. That's fine. Help at disabilityrights.ca is that email address. Uh, next one up here, Martin. Let me flip through some. This one's short and sweet. Can LTD legally ask me questions about my religion? Well, that's an interesting question. So when you have a disability claim, 
and it may have been approved or may not yet have been approved, insurance companies through their case managers often have what is called functional telephone interviews, where the case manager may phone you and have a discussion with you. And I've seen some of these discussions last 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, where they're asking you lots and lots of questions. They may ask you, why did you leave work? What type of work did you do? Um, what your condition is, what treatment you're getting, what doctors you're seeing, and what you do on a regular basis. Describe what the average day is. Do you socialize? Do you go to other places? So in that context, can they ask you what your religion is? I don't think that's relevant, and I don't think they should be asking that question. But if somewhere it may have said what the religion is, and they may ask you, are you attending church, for example, or if you're going to a mosque, whatever it may be, in terms of function, right? Because that's why they're asking you these questions. Do you socialize? Do you go to the movies? Do you read books? Do you drive your children to school if you've got children? Do you go grocery shopping? Things like that. Um, it does come up, but simply asking you what your religion is, I don't think that's appropriate. And I don't see that there would any be any concern if you would say, I'm not prepared to discuss that and it's none of your business. But it really depends on the context of the question. Let's move on to another one. That makes total sense, by the way. I don't know why they would need to know that. But uh, Martin, in 2018, no. I suffered from a severe psychotic episode and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. In the last year, I've been pretty depressed about work uh, or about work due to a change of teams. The new team is technically more challenging and combined with my cognitive decline from my mental illness made work very stressful. I'm not able to focus well, have poor memory, and have a hard time retaining new information. In August of this past year, uh, I started having suicide thoughts, went to the doc and was told to take time off work. I'm currently on short-term disability for my depression and have applied for long-term and I'm still waiting on my psychiatric treatment plan. Will there be a good chance of it getting approved? I'm not sure if I'll be able to return to my job in the future as I have lots of anxieties with work due to cognitive issues from my illness. What options do I have? I thought about quitting my job and getting an easier, lower-paying job. What do you think? Okay, so thank you for sending in this question. And I, I think there's a lot to be said here. Um, first thing is, remember what I said this morning, when you have a diagnosis, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a disability. So in this instance, when it says in August of this year, which I'm assuming is 2023, you started having suicidal thoughts, went to the family doctor and was taught to take time off work, having issues with depression, anxiety, still waiting on a psychiatric treatment plan. All of these issues tell me that you very likely are unable to work. Um, you want your doctor, so when you ask, is there a good chance that you may get approved, there is a chance that you may get approved, but it really depends on what the evidence is that is submitted. So you want to have your doctor detail what your actual diagnoses are, detail what your restrictions and limitations are, and speak about the fact that you're having difficulty with focus, concentration, and comprehending new information, and what other things there may be. Are you having difficulty with sleep? Are you having difficulty with energy, motivation, socializing with others? It sounds like they have. there's been a very difficult time at work. Um, there is a history of mental health illness so that may have been aggravated over time um, so the doctor has to address all these things when the claim is submitted for ltd but when you say i'm not sure i'll be able to return to my job in the future and you're speaking about you having had 
different teams with whom you worked. Be careful here that you don't say it's just, obviously, unless it's true, but for most people it won't be, but they'd still step into this trap. There's a difference between job and occupation. And when you submit an LTD claim, you have to prove that you cannot perform the duties of your occupation. So if you were working with a team that made things very difficult for you at this employer, and there was potentially bullying and harassment happening, the insurance company very likely will look at that and say, well, this is an employment issue because we're looking at your ability to perform your occupation, not your job. So if you can perform your occupation at a different location or for a different employer where those stresses are not present, we're going to deny your claim because we think you're able to do that. In this case, clearly, there have been certain things that have happened that have worsened this person's mental health to such a degree that they cannot function in the workplace. So don't just speak about the issues at this workplace. Speak about your difficulty and have your doctor support this if they're agreeable, which I believe they will be. Speak about the essential, the restrictions and limitations that would prevent you from performing the duties of your occupation. Make sure you see your doctor regularly. Make sure that your doctor is proactive in treatment. If you're saying you don't have a psychiatric treatment plan, does that mean that you're on a wait list to see a psychiatrist, which is, would be a good thing? If you've been referred to counseling, do that. Do all the things that your doctor is recommending. When you say you've thought about quitting your job and getting an easier, lower paying job, at this point, it sounds like you're unable to work. So first focus on that. Do not resign from your position. Do not do that. If the employer made things difficult for you and say, and may start threatening you with respect to return to work, or that they may terminate your position, at that time, fortunately, we also have a whole employment team at our firm, and you can have a consult with one of our employment lawyers who can advise you of your options but do not resign from your position. And if the insurance company did deny your claim, as for everyone, as I've said before, reach out to us, because I do believe in this instance that you definitely should be entitled to benefits, and we can help you navigate that process and discuss with you your options and how to move forward. It's always those mental health ones that people are always a little antsy about, and you get a lot of feedback or at least fight back from the insurance company as well. Because as we mentioned before, Martin, as we uh, as we close out of here, it's not always on a you know an X ray or a CT scan or an MRI, but it's it's real and it's out there, especially since COVID. But don't hesitate any time to reach out to Martin and his team in that regard, or anything else that uh, is irking you about uh, dealing with that insurance company. As we get out of here, I'll give you the phone number one more time and the email address. That is one eight five five. Eight two one fifty nine hundred, and yeah, email is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.